Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. I'm super stoked about today's episode. I had the honor of interviewing my girlfriend's sister, Ashley, on today's episode. Ashley is somebody who I have heard nothing but the most incredible things about. Ever since I met her sister, she wouldn't stop talking about how wonderful Ashley is. And it was such an honor to get to hear more about her story because... Just the things that I've heard in the past have really inspired me to just love myself more. Ashley and I talked a lot about her experience in treatment, and we got to kind of laugh about the interesting things that we hear and learn and experience there that you really don't anywhere else. Talk about that. We talk about what it was like for her having to be a grown-up before she was 10 years old, and then her experience trying to relive those childhood years as a teenager, what that did. Ashley is an incredible person. She is an Enneagram 4. I'm an Enneagram 7, so we are very different. And it was really an honor to get to talk to her and hear her story. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy. My friend, how are you doing over there? (laughs) I am good. How are you? I am doing okay. It's been weird times, but it is 2020, so it's just weird times in general. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. My gosh. Ashley, I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast. For those of you listening, Ashley is my girlfriend's sister, and I have heard nonstop incredible things about Ashley since I met her sister, and so I'm super stoked to eventually get to meet you, and we were just laughing about how our first like, real true uh, connection is going to be recorded for us to listen back on later. (laughs) So much fun. Yes, but Ashley, you're from California, right? Yes, I am. That's where I'm living in Coachella currently. Okay, that's awesome. Coachella, I'm assuming, is not happening. No, (laughs) most definitely not. And it's 123 degrees outside right now, so (gasps) I'm trying not to drown in my own sweat. Oh my gosh, that is horrible. That sounds like an actual nightmare. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Welcome to the desert. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I will prepare myself for whenever I come out there and see you. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> see, it's a lot better in a lot of other places in California, and I'm sure you know that, but just yeah, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, this whole area, it's just, I don't know why, but it's been selected to be burned. <laughs> there you'd be to be burned. <laughs> I'm so morbid. <laughs> it's been selected out of all the places in California. This, that's the one, and you're living in it. Yes, you found it. <laughs> absolutely. That's amazing. Well, Ashley, I'm so excited to learn more about your story. I've heard um, bits and pieces of it from from you, from Kaylee, and I'm just excited to kind of get to hear the whole thing put together in a way. So, um, yeah. I guess to just jump right in. The question I ask everybody when I start these is to describe the relationship that you have with your body. Complicated. Okay. It's very complicated. I think it's in the best place that it ever has been currently. Um, However, you know, everybody has their bad days. I think for me, I have come to accept that the bad days are part of the beauty in your body. And that's something that I've learned 
doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, even though it's categorized as a bad feeling about your body, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I totally get that. You're saying right now it's in a, a better place than it's been. But do you want to share a little bit of like your background and the history of that and kind of where it got from like there to here? Yeah, that's fine with me. Um, I think as far as my background goes, it's been very, again, complicated. I grew up in a house that seemed to initially within the first few years of my life be the most incredible place. And I was such a happy child. Um, but things took a turn really quickly because of substances in people's lives and um, my father passing away. And honestly, that really left a huge gap in my developmental period of my life where I went from Instead of being a young child being four years old, I all of a sudden was the parent trying to take care of someone else who had substance abuse issues and fell even deeper into that rabbit hole than they had previously. Mm. So it was a very complicated dynamic because I was so young that I didn't know a different life. And that felt normal. And I thought a lot of things were normal that I've learned now were not. And I still have to work through those things consistently, you know, even in my day-to-day -day adult life now. Yeah. That's so interesting to me because I, I hear so much, like, in different therapy sessions or just conversations about how, like, most of our life or just how we see the, our life and how the world works in general is like developed in our brains when we're really little kids and based on like what our caregivers teach us and show us about like what love even means and what it means to be a person and kind of just the way things are because we're just kids back then like we don't know any different other than what we're learning from them we're just taking that as like the way everything works do you have like a lot of memories from being four years old and kind of what that switch felt like emotionally and stuff. Cause I can imagine that's a lot for a little kid. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for me, I remember more about the times that I was under the age of 10 than I do about what happened two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Like it's, it's a really weird dynamic and relationship and it's, it's interesting because in some ways, while it feels like it was yesterday, it also feels like it was a whole other life. Like it's, it feels like it was a past life. It's not actually connected to where I'm at, but then I have to ground myself and stop disassociating and realize, Hey, that, that, that is real. That's a part of you. And that's why you're going through what you're dealing with right now, you know? Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's again, very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. I've heard a lot from people about how like when trauma happens, our brain kind of like fractions it off onto these different islands as a kind of like survival strategy. Cause it's so much to like just take in as this is my life Absolutely. and look at all of it that it's almost like just easier to do that and be like, we're going to put this over there and this area and this over there and that area and just, right. Uh, so you're saying it perfectly, just complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are 
I guess like if you were to go back to four-year-old Ashley, how would you say her relationship with her body was or just her relationship with herself? Because I guess at four, I can't imagine trying to think through that at four years old. What was your relationship with yourself like at four? I honestly didn't feel like I was anyone. I think that's the best way that I could describe that because I spent every moment taking care of everyone around me. Uh, I think that's when I very quickly developed the fact that how I felt wasn't how I felt. And Mm -hmm. it was what other people thought. And I needed to act in a certain way so that I wouldn't be hurt. But it was also all characterized in a way where I was told that I had that freedom to be myself when it really just was not the case. It became a survival mechanism. Like, Mm. and so honestly, my relationship with myself back then wasn't a relationship at all. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's really the answer to that. Yeah, that makes sense. What what were ways you kind of like survived that? Like what were, did you have different, I guess, strategies or coping mechanisms or, cause I imagine it probably took a lot for you to just get to the next day living in that kind of way. I think it absolutely did. And I mean, you can ask people like Kaylee, who was also on your podcast, um, but <laughs> yes. you can, you can ask her by the time I ended up you know, being more active in that family's life, I kind of had to relive the years that I missed. So I cried a lot. I was super emotional or overly emotional for all the emotions that I didn't get to feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's how it was where when I'd go to school when I was younger or when I would meet new people, it was immediately like, let me talk to you. I'm the greatest person in the universe. You need to talk to me. You need to pay attention to me. And if my efforts aren't working, then I'm going to cry until you listen to what I have to say. Oh man, that just like breaks my heart because it makes so much sense because you just wanted to be seen and you wanted to be cared about and loved and like, yeah. That makes me so sad. It's just weird for me to think about because even I watch old home videos or think about old um, circumstances that happened and I'm like, God, I I hate who I was then. I would have been so annoyed by me. Like, but then it's, it's all about coming to understand how and why that really was the case. Yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. That's like... The main thing that I'm being told to work on all the time is to have compassion for my younger self. (laughs) And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. Okay, how does that work? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) When you're you're saying that you have a good, well, you a better relationship with yourself now. What what did that look like in the middle? Like, what was kind of the (laughs) journey from being ten below four years old and whatnot to like kind of like adolescent years and what did that look like as you kind of grew into yourself? Well, to go back to what I had said before, I really kind of had to relive the years that I didn't. So as as a young teen, 
I went back and acted like a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old because I'd already lived through acting what my age had been when I was a teen. Mm. Um, And that was just because of my caretaking time, taking care of my mother and, you know, not realizing that it wasn't normal for your mom to be overdosing once a week. Like, so it was a very difficult period because I always had a good ability to make friends wherever I went, but I also had a very quick ability to lose those friendships. Mm. And it's hard to have relationships with people when you're in your early teens where you're feeling angsty, you're feeling like nobody understands you. And in a way, I think that was true to me. But every time I talked to my friend as if something that had happened to me previously was, was normal, I would end up losing that friend because they would not even know how to, to think about anything like that at the age between, you know, like 12, 13, 14 Wow. Oh, I can imagine. So it sounds like things were really backwards for you. Very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's got to feel super terrible to be like, this is my story and this is my like truth and have people just like, I guess, leave you in that. Cause I'm sure all you wanted was to be cared about and connection to be loved and stuff. Absolutely. Like, do you remember kind of how that felt? being that young and like reaching out and people just not knowing what to do. Yeah, I do. And it was a lot of heartbreak and and nights in my room crying. And, and I think that's really what led me to push the family that I was living with, like my siblings, Kaylee and all of them. It's what really led me to push them away. Um, Mm. And that's something that is still somewhat true of me and I've I've recovered from that since I you know went through rehab and and that experience but I think that when I wouldn't get the attention from anyone I felt like an obligation to that family and the people that actually care about me and were closest to me I pushed the furthest away and hurt mm-hmm. the most because I just wanted to see if they would actually still stay there because nobody in my life ever had before. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you kind of want them to prove it to you before you just trust them. Yeah, but the problem was it became a sense of normalcy for me where Mm -hmm. I did it to everyone. And even at the beginning of, you know, my relationship with Daniel, my fiance now, it it even developed into that where in the beginning it was everything. And then I started pushing him away because I realized he was right there with me and he wasn't going anywhere. And so it's taken a lot of training to get out of that mentality. I can imagine, like I can relate a lot to what you're saying when it comes to like, I don't know, people being close and it feeling uncomfortable. Like I've been feeling a lot of that now because normally when, or historically when I'm like, processing through hard stuff or when anything hard happens, I, 
I have this very good like distance from anyone. Like I have a lot of control over who knows what. But when people are really close to you because they care, it's like I just feel exposed. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary because it's like, what are they going to, is that going to be too much? What are they going to like think about this information? Am I going to end up hurt and whatnot? Yeah. Well, and that's another thing too is is when they would act like they cared and and would ask me questions, I have always been so phenomenal at making it seem like people can know every single thing about me, but only so that they don't ask continual questions. Oh, wow. So it doesn't actually, like, I can redirect conversations to make it so that the conversation never actually touches on what's bothering me or any of those sorts of things, which has taken a long time for me to work through as well. Because, I mean, there's a lot of things my family still doesn't know and still is learning about me because I've never felt comfortable sharing. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine that feels really isolating. Yeah. And I think that also contributed to my you know, pushing people away and feeling misunderstood. So, yeah. How old were you when you moved in? Cause, cause you moved in with Kaylee and uh, I guess your aunt and uncle. Yeah. And Megan and uh, your Brady bunch of a sibling family. <laughs> There's so many of you. <laughs> um, how old were you when you moved in with everybody? So I think I was, I was eight at the time. Oh, that's so little. My gosh. It seems so little, but it also seems so old to me. Yeah. It's it's so complicated. <laughs> we keep going yeah. back to that word. I mean, it describes it perfectly, it sounds like. Yeah. What was the transition like? Horrible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Absolutely horrible. Because <laughs> like Ooh. I said, I mean, that was my normal. And I was being taken out of a place that was horrible, but I didn't know that it was horrible. So mm. in my mind, it's these demons coming to take me and punish me and, you know, remove me from the one person I have in my life. Oh, wow. And Kaylee was the person who came to pick me up. Oh, and Kaylee. it was, you know, looking back on it, it means the world to me. And that's also why I feel like she and I are especially close. But it was so difficult because it took a lot of explaining for them to have to do as to why, why they did what they did and why they did, why them doing what they did was good. Mm. because my mom was my world. I had Aww. taken care of that woman. I had done everything. I thought I was going to marry my mom. And, you know, I had these weird <laughs> ideas in my brain, but they took me away from her and I'd already lost my father. So I just was a whole mess. That makes so much sense. Cause as a kid, like your parents are your world. Yeah. And Especially, like, without your dad. So you didn't understand why you were moving in with your aunt and uncle and Kaylee and everybody. It just was kind of happening. Kind of. I mean, the, the way that it had gone down was that I had gotten to go out to a friend's birthday party. And I was on my way home when an ambulance went speeding by me. And... 
I got back to the house that I was living in, which was a actually a mobile home uh, in a really quite sketchy trailer park. Uh, and my neighbor was in my house when I got home, and she just said, hey, your mom overdosed again. You're going to be staying with me. And so I was with her, and then it was just bouncing around from neighbor's to neighbors who I'd grown quite comfortable with only because of the fact that every single night that my mom would kick me out, I'd just knock on neighbors' doors until someone answered. And so that was such a normal thing for me. And then all of a sudden it was this family coming to pick me up that I had hated because I had stayed with them once uh, for like a couple months before right after my dad died and another time that my mom was in the hospital and I I hated them and it was because they didn't understand really where I was coming from so I was punished for being like a pathological liar when I had been taught that that was how you got through life by my mother okay so it was a a very very confusing relationship for me what did like the process of that look like in them trying to explain to you what was going on and building trust? And cause you, I'm imagining that you learned a lot about yourself and that just cause you had to be an adult when you were a little kid. Yeah. That's gotta feel crazy. Like what was, what was that like once you moved in with them? Honestly, it was when they weren't explaining that I was learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me literally living in the shoes of how, to be treated with kindness and compassion for me to understand that that was completely different than what I'd been raised previously with. And it felt nice, you know? So I think I just had to come to terms with the fact that the kids that they were hanging out with and the family that they were was nothing like anything I had experienced before. What did that do impact-wise when it comes to your relationship with yourself at that time? Like, how did that shift? That's, that's a really great question. Um, I think with me, it did some good, but it also really messed me up. And the reason mm-hmm. why that is is because when I transitioned into this family... I felt that I needed to be to myself, both my mother and who my mother was and how she treated me um, and myself. So every time I would do something wrong, I would punish myself. And I was very quick to react to myself in the ways that I know my mother would react, which was a lot of PTSD coming forward. Um, and sometimes even feeling like, you know, my mother was right there with me when I was trying to do my math projects that I was working on. And she was telling me how horrible I am and how I'm going to fail and, and all of these things that were very pertinent to me at that moment. So I was quick to punish myself for completely unnecessary reasons, simply because that is what I had been accustomed to. That makes a lot of sense. Was the family that you were living with, did they kind of help when it comes to like, I don't know, I guess seeing yourself in a different way than 
how you were trained to? I, that, that's a hard question. I, I don't really think so. I yeah. think there was a lot that they didn't know about me for lack of my sharing, but also the entire family is completely different than me. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they were raised, their personalities. I walked in very extroverted and wanting to be in the forefront of everything. Um, and this was really when music was just my whole world of this is the way that I can express myself. And that's when it got complicated with that dynamic because everybody was introverted and just wanting to do all of these things staying in the house and much like now <laughs> 2020 quarantine but Ooh, love it it's just uh it's it's complicated yeah no that makes sense that makes sense how do you remember this this might be kind of a weird question but do you remember like how you felt like in your body during this time like if you felt safe inside your own skin if you like comfortable if you even kind of had that in your mind at all so this is probably going to sound really graphic, but I really just wanted to peel it off. Mm. I think I just, I, I hated myself. And yeah. that's something that's, you know, translated so long into my life. But I really, I, you know, I felt like I had to turn myself inside out in order to be me because the person that I saw in the mirror wasn't the person I ever wanted to see again, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. That's so sad. That's so sad because it's like, of course you felt that way. Like, that makes all the sense in the world. You mentioned earlier rehab. Um, when That was in the past year or so, right? Yes, it was. Okay, what did that look like do you do you want to talk about that share any of it yeah we can talk about it okay um it it was complicated again because it was coming you know I had stepped out on my own to live my life and I was living out in downtown San Diego like an hour and a half away from my family that I'd been living with And, um, I was in a relationship with Daniel, um, who's now my fiance and really there was just a lot going on. I had took a long trip. I actually went to Tennessee. Um, I went to Missouri. I went to Illinois. Uh, Daniel and I took a really long trip together and I went out there and I spent, Uh, an entire month traveling. Um, And this was actually exactly a year ago. Um, And that really, it's it's a complicated trip because I went to go see my best friend um, and spend time with her and her daughter and go to her daughter's first birthday party and be able to um, just see the people that 
I haven't gotten to see and have had to stay in, in contact with, you know, via cell phone calls and things like that. And um, when I came back, uh, I was back for two days and I got a call that my best friend committed suicide. Oh, wow. And it didn't feel real at all. I was completely distraught. And I was going through enough as is. Um, It was a bad time in my life. I'd gone off of my medication um, because of body image issues and it was changing me and I had had all these issues. And so then come getting that phone call, I was a mess. And that's literally the day I got that phone call was um she passed away on August 29th so that's that's not far from now yeah and um honestly when that happened I flew out immediately again for her funeral and I came back and just I wasn't okay I was living with someone at the time who was going through their own issues and um was not able to be there for me like I needed them to be. Uh, And a lot of people that didn't know how to handle the situation. And so that translated into me um, trying to take my own life because Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be with my friend. She was the only person who, through that whole time of not having friends growing up, she was the one person who'd lived a similar life as me and, and actually understood how things were supposed to be and how, you know, we just, we grew up navigating through really messed up upbringings together. And yeah. we promised each other we'd never do that. So it was a uh, really, really hard. Oh my gosh, Ashley. I'm so sorry. How are you? This is a little bit off topic from the podcast, but like, how are you right now? Cause the anniversary is coming up. Like, are you taking care of yourself? I've been ignoring it as much as I can. It still feels very fresh and it does not feel like it was a year ago. That totally makes sense. So you shortly after that went to spend some time in rehab, you were saying. Yeah. So it was that night that um, that everything went down and me attempting to take my life that uh, actually Kaylee called the police um, from, I, I think she was living in, in Missouri at the time, but, um, or no, she wasn't. She was in, in Redlands. But the point is that she ended up actually calling and they, I got put on a 5150 and then from there, uh, rehab was, was what was on the table for me getting discharged. So, Mm. um, that's where I went. I felt horrible going into it, but it also was one of the best things that could have happened to me. And I learned a lot through it. So that, that is awesome. I know we've touched on it just like a teeny bit 
after I got back from treatment. Um, but we've just kind of shared like, cause I agree. I think that I know we had different experiences and went to different places and stuff, but it's just like the best thing that I could have ever done for myself. Yeah, absolutely. What was, what was your experience like there? Like how, how did that change you and shape you? Like what did true treatment and do you call it treatment or rehab or is it kind of the same thing? Same, same thing. It's interchangeable for me. Okay. What, um, what are some things that you experienced and learned in treatment that you think really, really helped you? That my body was okay to live in. Mm. Honestly, that was, that was one of the biggest things that I learned and it took a long process and, you know, it was, it's so weird. And I know that you, you understand this as well, but every day that's in there feels like a month. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Just the clock passes so slowly and you're so structured and you don't have access to anything in the outside world. You can't call people, you can't text people, you have to go eat your food in the dining hall while you're getting stared at as to how you're eating mm-hmm. and what you're doing and, <laughs> you know, just everything. You're just feeling like you're being watched constantly. And you are. Um, but the structure and the classes really taught me a lot about my own mental health and why it's important for me to connect with myself. Um, I think the the most difficult part of rehab is realizing that everybody else is there because they've been broken in some way, shape, or form as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, so while you develop relationships with people in there because they're the only people you can talk to, um, it opens the door for a lot of toxicity. And Mm -hmm. I think that was a big issue that I found going into it of where some people were there because they wanted to get better and some people were there because they were forced to be. And that is what made it a very difficult dynamic to know who to associate with um, and, you know, who's going to talk bad about you or whatever it may be. So you really have to be content with yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely get that. I found it really hard. This was actually like a huge struggle of mine. Um, When I was in treatment, I found it super hard to focus on my own healing when all those dynamics are going on because it's just like, like there were times when it felt like a simulation of life, like every type of problem. Because you're really just, like you were saying, you're really just like in this bubble yeah (laughs) you're just with these people and it's like the outside world it's like you're in like a little snow globe type thing oh yeah it's like what is life anymore um but I found it really hard to I guess navigate those dynamics and relationships in there at the same time as try to heal and try to work on the reasons why I was there was that like really difficult for you to do or what did that kind of feel like it fell into place it was difficult at first most definitely Um, you know, when you walk into there, you're the new person, you know, some people have been there, some people, uh, got there a couple days ago, but you walk in there and you're like, where do I go? They have all my things. I haven't been shown my room. 
I still have to be strip searched. Like what, what am I, what's, what's happening? Where do I belong? Mm. And that's really a moment when you are stuck with yourself. Um, and you know, I ended up meeting people and and talking to people that night and it made it a, a little bit more comfortable. But again, it's those relationships of, you know, hanging out with people that aren't ready to get better. And it can really infringe on your ability to get better. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) My gosh. Yeah, it definitely just forces you to sit with yourself and sit with the hard stuff. And it's interesting because it's like your whole entire job being there is therapy. Yeah. Is to just get better and to focus on on healing. And so it like takes away all your distractions. It takes away all your coping mechanisms, any kind of anything, even down to just like normal life. Yeah. Because it's like, I'll leave a therapy session here and just go to work or go hang out with like a friend. It's not like the constant thing, but like in, in treatment, it's everything. Yeah. Was that a big adjustment for you to have to kind of sit with yourself a lot? Oh, absolutely. I feel like it's the first time I'd ever really listened to myself. Um, I mean, other than through music, which was so complicated for me because being being by yourself yet not by yourself simultaneously is a very difficult thing to do where you're sitting Mm -hmm. in a room and you are trying to process through things, but you also have a roommate that's like, five feet away from you in the other bed watching you yeah. and it's like you both know you're working through your own things but you don't know each other so you still feel alone even though you're right next to somebody so mm-hmm. it's not only having the comfortability of having to sit with yourself and process through those things but also having to be okay with the fact that people are watching you as you're doing it yeah Oh, I get that. There's no hiding. Yeah. <laughs> Where I was, they were taking notes on like everything we said and oh, did. Did yeah. they do that over there? Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. My gosh. And it was it so. It seemed so nice, but it also seemed like a mental ward. Which I mean, it kind yeah. of was, but yeah, <laughs> it really did feel that way. It's like, okay, go put on your gown. You're gonna go get strip searched and make sure you don't have any contraband. And it's like, oh gosh, how am I, I know that too well? I know that too well. <laughs> I know. Oh, my insane. stomach's like turning right now. I know. Oh gosh, you it's couldn't have anything. A... I'm like, how did? Who thought of using this item? <laughs> And now you're taking it away from me for literally no reason. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Tell me about it, dude. That's funny. That's funny. Um, You were saying earlier how your experience in treatment taught you how to be okay in your body. Um, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Is that, that's what you said, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, How did it help you with that? Like, was it different groups or things that you learned like from therapists and stuff there or was it kind of just the whole act of having to sit with yourself and work through your stuff or what did that kind of look like I think a mixture of both um you know having a structured routine is something that I did not have 
Um, Mm -hmm. At the time, I had been working like five jobs. So I was all over the place all the time, minimal sleep. um, Because when I get off work, I just want time to myself because I didn't ever get it. So that was when I'd stay up late and and watch Netflix or, or whatever it was. Anything to distract myself from actually dealing with my issues. Mm. And so when I say that that really changed my relationship with my body was for the first time I'd be able to wake up and want to eat food and want to be productive and be happy because I was well rested. And my mental state was well rested, which was something that is not very easily attained in regular day-to-day life. Um, Mm. And I spent so much time being so consumed by wanting to be in the music industry and working in that and being told by managers that you're too fat or you've gained five pounds and you need to lose it or you need to move in with us and we're going to monitor everything you do when you're working out seven days a week and all this stuff that, you know, I was so convinced that I had to look this certain way in order to be accepted by mass people. Because if I can't be accepted by two managers, then how could I ever be accepted by a million people who'd want to listen to my music? Mm. And really just learning to live with the fact that the reflection you see in the mirror is what you're always going to see. And you can choose to ignore that or you can realize that you're the only person that's you and you're the only one that can recreate your mind and and speak about your life experiences. And that's, that's valuable. You know, nobody else is me. No one looks like me. And whether people want to think that, you know, the person I am is beautiful or not, I think that I'm beautiful and I and I have to think that because I'm myself. I absolutely love that and I want to go punch so many managers. <laughs> Dude, the music industry, oh my god. <laughs> I'm like cringing hearing you say these things. I was like, "No, yeah. are you kidding me?" Oh my goodness! What? Okay, so tell me, tell me more about music. I can tell from the things you're saying here, and just other things that I've heard and whatnot, that music is extremely important to you. Yeah. How how has that helped you when it comes to finding your voice and finding yourself, and just your whole relationship with yourself in general? It's been everything to me. I I suck at journaling. I'm terrible at writing out my thoughts but when it comes to writing music and you know poetry in a way but really just between the melodies and the words that I'm saying being able to write something and realize hey that's that's how I'm feeling that's that's the emotion that it is you know Mm. and it's something that I couldn't just identify by having a conversation or a revelation. It's something that's translated through what I'm saying through a song. Um, Mm. And that's when I find that I write most of my music is something really terrible happens, and I'm like, ah, I have to write a song now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be back in an hour. Yeah. I'm going to write a hit real quick. Pretty much. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but I think oh, also that had to do with my dad was in the music industry and I lost him mm. at such a young age. And he was always good to me as a father. And that is honestly been my way of connecting with him. And in a way, the reason why I feel like I can be open and be vulnerable is because I kind of feel like when I'm writing songs, that's when I'm actually getting to have a conversation with him. Oh, that's so special. It is. That's so special. It really is. How often, how often do you write songs? I don't just sit down and write songs. I think it's just a case-by-case basis. I mean, I'm quite an emotional person. Um, not like I cry every five seconds, but, you know, I feel things very deeply and I'm very empathetic. And mm. so whenever I feel an emotion of any kind, that's usually what will take me to a place to be inspired to write something. Um, okay. So quite often, I guess I would say probably a couple songs a week. Um, oh, wow. That's a lot of work. It is, but it isn't because I usually write them in like 15 minutes because it's just me just saying what I have to say. Oh, so that's very cool. Yeah. So, sorry, I knew what I was going to say and then okay. I lost it. But now I'm remembering. Uh, you're, you, you're talking about being really in touch with your emotions and stuff. You are a four on the Enneagram, right? I am. Okay. <laughs> Such a you. four. <laughs> Such a four. I love it. I love four so much because I'm a seven. For those, I mean, I don't have time to explain the Enneagram to whoever's listening, but I'm sure you know what it is because it's 2020 and everyone talks about it every day. But... So, like, I'm, like, the opposite of you, and it's such a battle for me to get in touch with my emotions, and it's so, like, I don't know. I've just, I've done so much work to be comfortable in emotions that aren't happy and excited and trying to be the entertainer for everybody around me and know that that's okay, too, and I'm not just this one way. Yeah. Um, so I'm always so, like, inspired when people are naturally really in in touch with their emotions and whatnot is that like so you've always felt that way oh yeah absolutely I've always been a four I think Kaylee called me and (laughs) just said hey Ashley you should listen to this this is your number (laughs) oh my gosh she just knew I listened to four and I was like this is Ashley Oh my gosh, that's what my sister did when she heard what a seven was, and I didn't even know the Enneagram. I didn't She's either. like, you're a seven, here you go. <laughs> that's exactly what oh Kaylee my. did. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Dang. So getting in touch with your emotions comes pretty naturally to you. Do you feel like that's the same as like getting in touch with your, I guess, just body in general, like knowing how you feel in your body versus like knowing how you feel in your mind in different scenarios? I Kind of. I wouldn't say exactly. I'd say as a four, it's not always feeling my emotions, but feeling everyone else's. I feel like I try so hard, you know, not consciously, but I somehow seem to make everything like a cinematic experience where it's like (laughs) I'll be driving in a car and I'll be like looking out the window and like listening to a song and I'll be like, 
this is the scene when I'm driving home from this horrible thing that just happened and like, you know, oh just making it this whole shebang and realizing nobody actually thinks that and cares. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's that's who I am. And then there's the huge contrast yeah. of like, Daniel is a one. Oh. Like, it's very different. Oh my gosh. It's a very, very strange circumstance. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Dang. That's pretty cool. We make no sense, but somehow we make sense. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. I can't wait to meet Daniel. You guys are so cute together. (laughs) I'm excited for you to meet him. And to meet you. I've never even met you. I mean, in person. Well, yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. Oh my goodness. So Ashley, I have like two more questions for you. My first one is if you were to go back in time and talk to young Ashley, (laughs) maybe like around like 10, 11 years old, um, and you were to talk to her like kind of coming from like your mind, like leaving rehab, your mind now, your mind in like a place with music being such a helpful tool for you. Uh, what what kind of things would you tell her? Who? That's a deep question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like thinking of what I would say. I'm like, I don't even really, know. Really, really pushing me there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh goodness. Sincerely apologize. Uh, it's, it's okay. Um, <laughs> no, I I feel like I tell her that she needs to listen to herself mm. um, and to, to care about herself and realize that while it's good to have other people like you, um, you, need to, you need to take care of yourself and then give the excess that you have after doing that to other people. It doesn't mean you have to be a bad person um, and turn people away, but you need to to listen to your own mental issues. Mm. That is such a key thing for anybody to hear. I think that that is a very beautiful answer. That's something that's so hard to do. I know. <laughs> I guess like as people, but also just like as women, we're taught and like just in general. So you knowing your story, it's like, oh my gosh. But taught to put like our needs aside and to ignore whatever like we're feeling and thinking and just focus on anything else. Absolutely. Dang, Ashley. Well, thank you for sharing all that you have of your story. It's an honor to hear it and to get to ask you questions and to get to just talk more and get to know you more and we have so much more talking to do yeah off podcast (laughs) off off the record (laughs) so I'm super stoked because I have like a million more questions for you and I just want to chat especially like about treatment stuff because I don't know I think I mean other than the people I was in treatment with I don't think I know anyone else that's gone to that so we got to swap all the stories oh absolutely gowns and people (laughs) taking notes on us and contraband Contraband. I love the contraband. <laughs> so great. So great addition to my life. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, my, my last question for you is total change of pace. 
Normally I have these, well, for the first like five podcasts I did, I had them prepared beforehand, but lately I've just been winging it. So we're just going to see what comes out of my mouth real quick. Okay. Which um, <laughs> you very professional Love and I'm it. even wearing sweatpants it's great <laughs> would you would you rather every time you ate breakfast Kaylee got the hiccups no 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 I'm taking that back <laughs> would you because <laughs> I just realized you breakfast is a normal part of the day <laughs> Kaylee gets okay. the hiccups <laughs> Kaylee, specifically Kaylee. Okay. Would you rather every time you stub your toe, Kaylee gets the hiccups? Or, <laughs> sorry, Kaylee, I know you're going to listen to this, so get oh, ready. Oh, goodness. Um, or would you rather every time, hmm, every time you wanted to leave your house, you had to wear like a two foot tall top hat but people really <laughs> liked your top hat <laughs> so like you got lots of compliments on it you made some friends with it but you got to take it everywhere you go in the house you don't have to wear it but outdoors top hat goes on what <laughs> <laughs> did you just make that up on the spot Literally just made it up on the spot. Oh my goodness gracious. This is how I entertain myself in treatment. I was asking everyone these questions. So I You're love like, getting to do it This is how outside. I get to know you. Um, yes, this is the one way. <laughs> Top hat or hiccups? Um, yeah. No. I, girl. <laughs> Honestly, it'd be very comedic to have Kaylee get the hiccups regularly, but also my own <laughs> self could not do that to her. So I'd end up with the top hat. I'm going to have to put top hat as the the final answer. Um, Top hat, okay. However, I would very much enjoy being able to give Kaylee the hiccups whenever I so please. (laughs) That would be be a treat. She'd love that. I'm sure she'd be so entertained by that happening. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Dude, I normally when I ask that kind of thing, it's like, would you rather this or turn your best friend into a hamster every time you brush your teeth? And I'm just like imagining that. I would love to be a hamster. Same, if I you could can, like, temporarily so be a hamster for like the amount of time it takes someone to brush their teeth, I yeah. would be that that would be the life to live. Wow, I've never heard that before. Normally people are like, oh my God. Like they ask all the safety questions. What if they're driving or what if they're like (laughs) walking this way? And I'm like, all safety precautions will be made. Then you just make a phone call and say, hey, what are you doing? I have to brush my teeth right now. You know, (laughs) like. Oh my gosh, yes. It's a planning. It's just, it's not complicated. They're your best friends. You're in communication with them anyways, right? For sure. Okay, let's just, just for, just for giggles here. Okay, trade the hiccups for Kaylee becomes a hamster. Oh, then I would definitely make Kaylee a hamster because I'd need to live vicariously okay. through her like I have done in my entire life of living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, amazing. So no more hiccups, but she is a hamster. She is a hamster. And maybe you can wear a top hat anyway just for fun. Just sometimes. 
I'm not, I don't know about that one, but okay. <laughs> you don't know about it? Okay. okay we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll find you a really cool top hat. Okay. I'm trying to change your mind here. All right. I'll, yes. If you bring it to the wedding, I'll, uh, I'll wear it at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't, don't test me, man. I'm going to get on Amazon right when we get off of here. <laughs> this is my thing. All oh right. All right. Dude, Ashley, you are amazing. How can people find you, find your music, find your anything like social media wise um everything is at i am aventine a-v-e-n-t-i-n-e um that's my twitter my instagram twitter i just vent on um <laughs> instagram's actually interesting uh <laughs> but yeah everything is at i am aventine Okay, is that how they would find, like, do you have music on, like, iTunes, Spotify type of thing? That would just be Aventine. Uh, it's everywhere streaming now. However, I'm more excited for the things that I'm working on, so. Ooh. Okay, well, I am stoked to hear it. Amazing, amazing. I will put all that information in the show notes below. Everybody go check out her music. She has an incredible voice. Aww. So go do yourselves a favor. Um, Ashley, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I cannot thank you enough. This was so much fun to get to talk to you and learn more and chat about top hats and hamsters. So <laughs> thank you so much. At the much. end of the day, that's that was the point of the conversation. Yeah. Top hats and hamsters. <laughs> that's what really is going to stick with people from this. Most definitely. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so Deep much that. for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to meet you soon. Yes. Very soon. Yes. Okay. Have a good rest of your night, Ashley. You too. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ashley. I had so much fun talking to her about all the things. If you enjoy this podcast and if you want to support me and get involved in what I'm doing and potentially be a guest on the show, listen to behind the scenes things and all the things, then you can support me for as little as $1 a month over on my Patreon page. You can get there by going to patreon.com slash Jackie G TV. Or if you want to read my book and learn more about my story and how I got from there to here and what my journey with getting to know myself has looked like, then go read my book, Finding Home, and you can pick up a copy of that and support me by going to JackieGronlin.com. All of those links will be in the show notes below. So thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.